everybody. Just tell you what I feel like. I feel like you can get a breakthrough if you want it bad enough tonight. Amen. I concur with what Brother Brock has said. I, I, I feel like you can really, I believed in miracles, never thought that I would be one. Amen. If you have faith enough tonight, you can get your breakthrough. Amen. If you have faith enough, God can really work out a miracle in your life. Amen. Oh, come on, somebody. Lift up some faith. I said that God can work it out. Amen. When all the chips are down, when all the doors are closed, God is still a miracle-working God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. I give honor here tonight to my pastor and to my bishop. I love these great men. Amen. And I give them honor. I give honor to Jesus Christ here tonight. Amen. Can I tell you that if you will allow him, God will not just be your creator. Amen. But he will be your savior. Amen. Living for God just keeps getting better. And if you allow him to be your savior, amen, if you let him in a little bit more, he'll be a friend to you. Amen. If you allow him, he'll get closer and closer to you. Amen. Living for God is the sweetest thing that there is. Amen. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. I love this great assembly, this great church. And I have some family here tonight, and they surprised me. I'm very thankful. Amen. That they are here, my grandmother and my aunt. And I've got some cousins here, so thank you for coming. I really do appreciate it. If you have the word of God, turn to 1 Samuel uh, chapter number 4. Just stay with me tonight. Amen. It will be a little bit of a lengthy reading. 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse number 1. It says, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle. And pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were coming to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout, so that the earth rang again. Skipping to verse number 10, it says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. This is even with the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the Ark of God was taken, and the two, son, two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were slain. And if you'll turn with me to one more passage, 2 Samuel chapter number 6. In verse number 
Verse number 11 says, And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed, somebody say blessed, blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. Somebody say all. With all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. With the help of the Holy Ghost and with your help tonight, I want to preach on this. It's time to dance. It's time to dance. If you would set down your Bibles and help me pray. Lord, I pray that you would touch the rest of this service, God, that you would touch these humble lips of clay, God, that you would use them for your glory, for your honor, God. I pray that you would touch this, the rest of this service. God, do a mighty work. God, I pray that faith would rise, that encouragement would rise. God, that we can leave Jesus feeling better in you, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Somebody put a praise on it. God, I praise you for it. I thank you for it. I worship you for it. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Before we get where we are going tonight, I would like to give a little bit of context to our readings and what is going on in them and around them. The, the books of Samuel are interesting because the first book of Samuel uh, is segmented. It talks about Samuel who is uh, the last and final prophet to Israel. And then it talks about Saul, who is the very first king of Israel. But the majority of the book is, is designated for David. It's talking about his anointing and then his exploits and his rule. But 2 Samuel is dedicated completely to David. It talks about his rule uh, when he was in Hebron and he was over the land of Judah. And then it talks about the rule that he was, was in in Jerusalem, and he was over a unified nation of Israel. And then it talks about his exile as his son Absalom would come and try and take the throne. And then lastly, it would tell, or it tells of the final days of David's reign. And where 1 Samuel talks of David before he is king, 2 Samuel dives deep into the life of David as he is king. It is in 2 Samuel that we find out that David commits a sin with Bathsheba. And then he sends Uriah to the front lines to be killed and to be slaughtered. It is in 2 Samuel, uh, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, that there is a rebellion of his son Absalom that takes place. But it is in the very first chapter of 2 Samuel that, that David learns of a heartbreaking uh, he has a heartbreaking discovery, and that is that the man of God and the king that was before him, King Saul and Jonathan, have been killed. It is such a moment that impacts David because David was there, and he could have taken the life of Saul. He was there, and, and it would have been so very easy for him to take the life of an opponent that was coming so desperately after him. And there was another moment that he could have just stepped away and could have turned his back and his, his men would have taken the life 
of this man Saul that was trying so, so much to destroy him. But there was something that was in the, the heart and in the mind of David where he would refuse to touch the Lord's anointed. But it went even further than that. He refused to let anybody else touch the Lord's anointed. Oh, there is a lesson in it right there that we can get it in, uh, get it for ourselves, that we will not touch the Lord's anointed and that we won't talk bad and we won't tear down the ministry. Oh, but I want it have... I want it to be said about me that I won't even let anybody else do it. Don't be around me and talk bad about my pastor. Don't be around me and talk bad about my bishop. If we're going to make this thing and if revival is going to go forward, then we got to be unified and we got to be back in the ministry. Oh, yes, hallelujah. Hallelujah. It is a very impactful moment for David. 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12 records it that David took hold on his clothes and he rent them. And likewise all the men that were with him and they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and Jonathan and the people that were destroyed for the house of Israel because they were fallen by the sword. Their deaths lead to this very tumultuous time in the nation of Israel. In that upper northern region of Israel, it is... A very crazy time. There is much bloodshed that is happening as men are jockeying for position and power. I'm going somewhere tonight. As they are jockeying for position and power, as they are trying to impress those that, that would be a possible king or might even try to become a king themselves. One of them is a son of Saul named Ishbosheth, who takes up the kingship of Israel. He was uh, somebody that would go against David. And as 2 Samuel reads in 3 and 1, there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But God's anointing would prevail. And the Bible says that David's house waxed greater and greater. And Saul's house would wax weaker and weaker. And finally, this character, this son of Saul, Ishbosheth, is killed. And the elders of Israel come together to make David king. And it seems like a wonderful day. And it seems like it's, it's just... This is the tops, but in David's mind, David is a very progressive man. He would go and he would extend the boundaries of the nation of Israel. And so when he becomes king over this unified nation of Israel, he has set his eyes upon a place called Jerusalem. And the king and his men, they go to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land. It was some 400 years after God had commanded Israel to take the whole land that the city was still in Canaanite hands. And David becomes king. And when he becomes king, he says, this cannot stand. There shouldn't be any other persuasion that is having the rule over us. I want to preach to somebody tonight that before you can dance, there are some things in your life that you have to let God give you the victory of. Amen. There's some things that you got to let God give you the victory over before you can dance. There's, there's a problem sometimes in Pentecost when we get up and we shout and we sing and it's a great thing. But there's some things on the inside that we haven't taken care of. And so we go back home and we're still defeated. And our faith goes down because we think, what in the world? I shouted all over the enemy and I still don't have victory. There's some things that before you can dance, you have got to clear the way. Before you can dance, you have got to get rid of the things that would stand in the way of total victory. 
Amen. You've got to get rid of sin. Somebody help me. I said you got to get rid of sin. Sin will impede your ability to dance. Sin will take away the peace that you get when you dance. Sin will take away the joy that you get when you dance before the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. It's hard to dance when you've got fear. Amen. Fear of what the enemy's repercussions are. I rebuke the devil in Jesus' name. Amen. When you dance and when you praise God, you ought to do it with full freedom and full liberty, not thinking of what the enemy is going to try and do. And he's got all these things that he's going to say to you. He's got all these things and he's, he's thrown out dangers. He's thrown out warnings that if you do this and if you really worship God the way that God is wanting you to, I'm going to come after you. I rebuke the enemy in Jesus' name. You ought to dance like there's no tomorrow. You ought to worship God because he's worthy. Because he's great. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel faith in the house tonight. It's hard to dance when you think too high of yourself. Amen. It's hard to dance. I don't worry about it so much. I was going to say when, you, when you're worried about sweating too much. I sweat all the time. So I don't worry about it. But it's hard, to, it's hard to dance when you've got a little bit of pride inside. It, it's hard to dance when you've got some things on the inside that, you, that you're worried about what other people are going to think when you come down to the altar. It's hard to dance when you've got those things festering inside and you're worried about what the youth group is going to think and you're worried about what your friends are going to think. And I'll say this, it's not just for young people either. Hallelujah. Amen. All ages feel that kind of peer pressure. What are people going to think? What are they going to think about my marriage? What are they going to think about my family? If I come down to the altar, what are people going to say if I'm praying real good? Amen. When you come down to the altar and you pray real good, it's a good thing. Hallelujah. Repentance is a good thing. Being filled again with the Holy Ghost and a renewing and a rejuvenation. Oh, that's a wonderful thing. That is something to be aspired. Oh, hallelujah. Amen, it's hard to dance when you've got doubt in your heart. Amen, I doubt that this dance is going to change anything. I doubt that my prayers are going to, that they even work anymore. Nothing happens when I pray. Why am I dancing? Everybody already knows my situation is hopeless. The devil loves to use this kind of tactic against the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. Can I preach to somebody? If you're having trouble dancing, you need to take inventory. You need to take inventory of what God has done for you. Oh, the beautiful things that God has done for you. You need to take inventory. Amen. When you think about all the wonderful things that God has done for you, the doubt begins to fall away and the fear begins to fall away. Oh, because I remember if he did it before, he can do it again. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody worship him. Oh, God, I praise you. God, I worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Fear and doubt, these are really big enemies. And they're not enemies that are seen. They're enemies that are in the mind. They're enemies that are in the heart. This is what the Jebusites tried to do. They had fortified this place called Jerusalem. 
When we think of Jerusalem, we think of this holy place. It was a city of David, but it wasn't always occupied by God's people. And here David comes up with his men, and they come up to this place that is so fortified, it looks like it's an impossibility. And David walks up, and those Jebusites begin to try, so, try to sow seeds of doubt in his mind before the victory could happen. Amen. You know, sometimes that's, that's the best course of action for the enemy. Because he knows if you start dancing and you get rid of those other things, there is victory that is on the way. Those Jebusites told him, except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither. In other words, even the weakest among us could keep you out because the walls are too high, David. We've got the advantage and you will never make it into the city. They were so overconfident in the fortifications of Jerusalem. This is what the devil does as we try and clean out parts of our lives. He tells us, you're so weak. Has anybody ever heard that you're never going to make it? Has anybody ever heard that you're so weak? Your prayers aren't making it to God. Why do you pray anyways? Don't go down to the church don't go down on an off night. It's not going to matter anyways. You're fasting. You're pushing away the plate, but it doesn't matter anyways because God is not a real God. And, and God is not one that hears. And God is one that just creates you and then he just leaves you all alone. These are some of the things. But I've come to encourage somebody tonight that there is no fortress of the enemy. There is no kingdom of this world that has power over the kingdom and people of God. Hallelujah. There is no throne. There is no presidency. There is no kingdom so great that the people of God are powerless against it. He said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, hallelujah. When the devil tries to talk to you, you ought to talk to him back. When he says you're not going to make it, you can say nay. Oh, hallelujah. I'm an overcomer. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. When he says that your life is a mess, you can say in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When he tells you that you're not important, tell him that you're of a royal bloodline. You're of a holy nation. You're of a peculiar people. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I like this verse. 1 John 5 and 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Kind of makes it simple. Makes it sound easy. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Even our faith. Even our faith. You know, some people never get their victory their entire lives because of that one word. Five letters. Their faith. It's not great enough. And they go through life and they listen to the voices and the voices continue, and they continue, and they mount, and so they never get their victory. You need to recognize who you are in the house of God tonight. Amen. You are more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. David would go on to fight the Philistines twice in the valley of Rephaim in the same chapter that we read from. And after inquiring of the Lord, God gives him the victory. And it is after all of this conflict... And I'm, I'm skipping over a lot. I'm trying to give you a good summary here tonight. 
there is so much conflict that is happening. There is so much bloodshed. This person kills this person, and because they did that, somebody comes after them, and they don't just kill them, but they kill all their family because you got to take out the whole bloodline because they're going to come after you if you don't. And so there's all this bloodshed, and there is a civil war that is happening in Israel. All this conflict, and, and at one point David is running for his life, and then he becomes king, and then his son Absalom comes up underneath him, and he, he wins the hearts of Israel, and then he tries to take the throne. All of this stuff that is happening, and David seems like he gets, well he does, he gets a victory in taking of Jerusalem and fighting the Philistines. And David gets encouraged and he consults with those uh, that would be very important. He consults with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader and speaks with the congregation. And he has a lofty goal. He says, you remember that ark that was taken. He says that ark that was taken so long ago, years and years and years ago it was taken. A whole generation had come up that didn't even know what the ark was about. And he said, if it seems good unto you and if it's God's will, let us bring again the ark of our God to us. And bringing back the ark of the covenant was a really, really big deal. When it was lost in battle to the Philistines, they had it for seven months. Then for 20 years it was held in the house of Abinadab in Kirjath-Jerim. Then David had tried to get the Ark of the Covenant back home, but he did it the wrong way. He didn't bring in Levites and somebody reached out, Uzzah reached out and, it, and God killed him right then and there. And so they take it to the house of Obed-Edom and then it stays there for three months and then David decides that he, he, he gets all the knowledge that he's supposed to have and recognizes that Levites are supposed to carry it. As the musicians, please come. For, and singers, too. Help me out. For almost 21 years, 21 years, the ark wasn't where it was supposed to be. An entire generation of young people that never knew what it was like to have the ark of the covenant in its rightful spot. It was a big deal when the ark was brought back home because... The ark represents so much. It represents the power of God. It represents God's goodness and his mercy and his direction. And so when David was able to bring it home, when he brought it to a place that everyone could see that God was in the midst of them, it says that David brought it into the city of David, which was Jerusalem, with gladness, sacrificing oxen and fatlings after only going six paces. And in verse 14 it says that David danced before the Lord. With all of his might. And he was girded with a linen ephod. You know how hard you have to dance to dance with all your might. With all of your might he danced before the Lord. With everything that was within him. He said I'm going to give it to you God. It's been 21 years since we've had the ark where it was supposed to be. I feel like that is worthy of some praise. I feel like that is worthy of some worship, God. It's been a very, very long time. And so I will give you everything that I have. I'm willing to dance. I'm willing to praise. I'm willing to worship. Oh, I'm willing to make myself look like a fool. I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care what they're going to say tomorrow. But I've come to worship God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
First Chronicles tells us that David made sure to get it right this time. He had the Levites, he had them carry the ark. And he had those appointed who would be the singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harps and cymbals sounding by lifting up the voice with joy. He made sure everybody was in their place when he tried or when he, the second time, when he took it from the house of Obed-Edom. He put porters and he put doorkeepers. Amen. They were assigned and elders and captains over thousands and hundreds were all in attendance when the ark of the Lord came out of the house of Obed-Edom. And it says that when he brought it into Jerusalem, oh, that beautiful moment that he brought it into Jerusalem, David gathered all of Israel together to bring up the ark. And I think this is so amazing because he gave everybody an opportunity. He gave everybody an opportunity to see and to worship with that ark. It wasn't that the ark, the, the ark, it, it was it was so wonderful. It had manna and it had the bud and it had the Ten Commandments and it was, it represented so much. They understood that it wasn't God because you can't put God inside of a box. Just like you can't put God inside of a tabernacle because God is greater than the box and God is greater than the building and God is greater than the city and God is greater than the enemy. And so they recognize that you can't put it in here. Oh, but what it represents is that God is back in the midst and that God's direction is back and God's mercy Mercy is back. Oh, hallelujah. He gave everybody an opportunity. And I can see in that day, I can see a plethora of people. I can see those little ones that don't even know what the ark is. And mom and dad is having to explain it to them. And I can see the young people that only heard about it. And I can see the next generation up that says, oh, I remember the day that it was taken out of the camp. I could tell you where I was. And then I see this last generation. I could, I could see the elders saying, oh, thank God that it's back because the safety and security that we felt when it was in the camp. And everybody is happy. And everybody is joyful. But they didn't just sit around. Hallelujah. First Chronicles chapter 15, verses 26 to 29. And it came to pass when God helped the Levites that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with the robe of fine linen. And all the Levites that bear the Ark, and the singers, and Chenaniah the master of the song with the singers, David also had upon him an ephod of linen. Thus all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals, making a noise with psalteries and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, can I tell you, there's always going to be one. There's always going to be somebody that doesn't get why you praise the way you do. That Michael, the daughter of Saul, looking out a window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her heart. She didn't understand it, Bishop. She didn't recognize. She didn't have that kind of connection. Oh, but David, when he came into that city, actually, it was only six steps before he sacrificed. But when he came into that city, he said, I'm going to make sure we do it right. I'm going to make sure that we lift up God the right way. Oh, hallelujah. She saw King David dancing and playing, jumping, and you can imagine what, you can imagine what she was thinking in her mind. What a fool. 
What a fool that a king would dance like that. What a fool. Oh, man. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 20 through 22 continues the story. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids. Oh, you don't get it, Michael. Of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father and before all his house, to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will, will I play before the Lord. Play means to laugh, to make merry, to rejoice. But I really like verse 22. And I will yet be more vile than thus. That word vile means undignified. And will be base. I will be humble in my own sight. If you think I look dumb, I'm going to really think I look dumb. By the time I get done dancing and worshiping and praising God the way that he is worthy of. Woo! Oh, hallelujah. Why was it that David reacted in such a way? It was because of what the ark represented. When the ark came back into town, mercy was back. When the ark came into town, goodness came back. When the ark came into town, godly direction and the presence of God and provision and protection and love and peace. Oh, come on, somebody. You mean to tell me you wouldn't worship like a crazy individual if you've been looking for mercy and goodness for 21 years and it comes walking over the hill? look like a fool open mercy and goodness all guidance and direction all protection and provision means it means to spring you ready as to separate your own limbs that means this little thing that we got going on ain't gonna cut it for God this little thing where we kind of go oh what is everybody else doing that ain't gonna work for God he was jumping and he was leaping unto God said that he danced said that he danced I'll tell you I ain't got any moves so don't be expecting anything after this one not what you're thinking of 
But you know what that word dance means? It means two words. It means to whirl. It was something that, yeah, looks a little silly, but there's a reason why I'm willing to look a little silly. Last thing, last thing. David, there was a special moment because David, David, here we go. I'm talking about looking dumb, so I'm gonna look dumb for you. David took off that kingly robe. And you know what he did? He took off that kingly robe and he looked over at one of them priests. He said, give me one of them. And you know what the connotation, you know why that's important? Because a king is the one that sits in the chair and says, give it to me and bring them to me and get this from me. But you know what a priest does? A priest serves. A priest worships God. A priest gives God everything he's got. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, worship the King of Kings. Worship the Lord of Lords.
Holy Ghost. Come on, if you need something, this is the right place and it's the right time. Don't wait till you get home and say, I wish I woulda. I wish I coulda. I shoulda woulda done. Oh, hi.